I'm teaching to you today on predestination. I started to save this message till I got everybody back in here again. Uh, due to this virus, we are taking off on on Sunday and Wednesday, like everyone else is, so we can cooperate with the government on this quarantining ourselves. But I'm meeting here at the church, preaching to an empty auditorium, except for uh, Mike, who's running the uh, board, and and Jesse and Teresa, who's running the cameras. I have been seeing some things about predestination that I've seen to some degree, but I've never really put them all together. And uh, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever run across. See, I don't believe that you ever completely learn a subject. You, you learn and you keep on learning. Let me give you what I call an easy explanation for predestination. It's very simple. Since there is none righteous, there in Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12, there's none righteous, not one. Nobody in the world is righteous. There's none that understandeth truth. There is none that seeketh after God. This is talking about Jew and Gentile. Nobody seeks God. If God doesn't choose himself a people and put faith into their hearts and cause them to believe and call upon him, nobody would be saved. That's how simple predestination is. You have to keep every verse coordinated with every other verse. You can't just come up and say, well, I don't believe in predestination. The reason you say that, you don't know what it is. Predestinate is not the word predestinate. There was no English 2,000 years ago when God inspired this book to be written. Predestination has to do with the light. And what I'm going to talk to you about today is light. Every time you find light in the Bible, it's talking about truth. And truth is not something you merely assent to. It's something you do. The Bible says there in the third chapter of John, He that doeth truth cometh to the light. This is predestination. He that doeth truth. But there's none that doeth truth, and none seeks after God. So where are you going to get the truth? God's got a... He has to write it upon fleshy tables of your heart. When you see that in the third chapter of Second Corinthians, you don't write the truth in your own heart. God has to do that. It's written with the finger of God there in Luke the 11th chapter. If I were the finger of God, cast out devils, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. God writes on tables of stone in the Old Testament, and he writes. He does the writing. We don't. He writes upon fleshy tables of our hearts. Now, I'm trying to explain predestination in relationship to the light. The Bible, Predestination is about the light. 
the Gentiles didn't have any light in the Old Testament. From Adam all the way to Acts 2, the Gentiles overall were in the darkness. Dark has to do, the absence of darkness is light. And this has been amazing to me to see all of this. The word predestinate is the word pro horizo. Pro horizo. Pro means before, before, and horizo has to do with the light. Horizo. There are no H's in the Greek. If you've been coming here, you know that. There's a diacritical mark. It has a breathing sound. It's an H sound. Horizo. That word horizo, the, later on the Latins in the language added an end to it. It means to predetermine before the foundation of the world for the boundary Horizon is a boundary. It's not something just anybody can come into. It's a boundary where the sun shines. And Christ is the S-O-N of God. And he shines where he wants to shine. You cannot just shine uh, where you want to by your will. So it's a boundary of light. And the Bible says... For whom, now this is where most people make a mistake on predestination. It says, for whom he did foreknow. It doesn't say what God foreknow, even though God knew what. The reason he knew what was going to happen, because he ordained everything. God works all things after the counsel of his own will. So, He is doing everything. He's declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times in your life, if you're right here, everything that's not yet done in your life, a car wreck, a heart attack, house getting foreclosed on, a marriage, a divorce, everything that happens, the Bible says, God's declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, everything that's not yet done. I'm going to stay on this subject of the light because it is an amazing picture. Light is truth. Truth is the word aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. And aletheia comes from the word lanthano, L-A-N-T-H-A-N-O. That's not all there is to the word, though, lanthano. Lanthano means to hide hide or to conceal that's the word well that's where there's no light placing the alpha this is how the bible reads in the original text the alpha the alpha first letter of the greek alphabet it negates the word and gives an opposite meaning it does the same thing in english in English, you've got the word atypical. Atypical. 
you got the word asexual and many other a atypical means not typical asexual means not sexual well alanthano translates alethea it means no hiding anything lanthano means to hide or conceal so he that doeth truth comes to the light or to the horizon the horizon is the light and everything that has to do with the gentiles coming to the light all the words are related to one another they're related in meaning to the light light is truth is is not hiding anything it's taking the cover off when people say you don't have to go to the original text yes you do you have to go to a concordance but that's not all there is to it you got to go to an early near bible that give you the exact spelling of the word i've got one over here i'm not going to go into it right now but an interlinear Bible has the Greek on the top line and the English under it. I don't even trust the English in an interlinear Bible. I go to the spelling in the interlinear, then I look it up in a in one of my encyclopedias. I look it up in here, or I look it up in an analytical lexicon. The word lexicon means dictionary, and it will tell you what part of speech it is, if it's an adverb, if it's a noun. It'll tell you what tense it is, if it's past tense, if it's future tense. It'll give you this. Do we need this? Absolutely we need it to learn what the truth is. Now, The Gentiles were in the dark, in the dark in the Old Testament. But God kept them from seeing. God did not extend the truth or the Holy Spirit Spirit, to the Gentiles in the Old Testament. He did not extend it other than a certain few that he accepted. You had Ruth, the Moabite. She was from Moab. That's what we call southern Jordan, right next door to Israel. Uh, You had Rahab, the harlot. She saved Israel by placing a red string or rope out of her window when Joshua went in to destroy it. You had uh, Uriah. Uriah was not a Jew. He was a Hittite. But boy, he loved David. And he said, I will not enjoy anything as long as my king is in battle. And you had Ittai. I-T-T-A-I. Ittai was a Gittite. He loved David. A Gittite was a Philistine. Evidently, he met David while David was running from King Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. And David went over to... David went over... Dave, I called him Dave. David went over to the Philistine to seek sanctuary 
And the king of the Philistines gave David a city, Ziklag, for his own to live in. Evidently, when David was over there, he met this guy, Ittai. And so when later on, when David's son Absalom is trying to take over the kingdom of Israel, Gittai, the Ittai, the Gittite, or the Philistine, said, wherever David goes, I'll go and I'll be I'll be his brother. Uh, Ittai was, we'll probably see him in heaven, I'm sure. He loved David, uh, the Gittite. Other than a certain few and possibly Nebuchadnezzar. A lot of people think of Nebuchadnezzar as a heathen. We don't know that he was. He was at one time, but so was the Apostle Paul. And Nebuchadnezzar, after God struck him down on his all fours, God's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar got up on his feet. It was for seven times he was on his all fours. I believe that was seven months. It was long enough for his fingernails to grow out like bird's claws and his hair to grow out like eagle's feathers. That was probably seven months. The Bible calls it seven times. Well, these and Nebuchadnezzar stood up on his feet. And he said, God doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven. Now, this is Nebuchadnezzar's words uh, over there in the Old Testament scriptures. He said, the Lord doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or stop him, arrest his hand, or say to God, what doest thou? That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. He sounds like a believer. And when he sent his his commander-in-chief, Nebuchadnezzar, over to carry Israel away, southern Judah went into captivity. It was Nebuchadnezzar that said, the Lord your God, the Lord, he recognized Jehovah as the Lord. He said, the Lord your God brought all of this upon you because what you did here in Israel. And he spared the life of Jeremiah. Now, the point is, the Gentiles were over here and they never got the light, no light. Not until Acts 2, when God pours out of his spirit, Holy Spirit is the truth. I said the Gentiles never got the truth. The Bible says repeatedly in John particularly, John kept talking about the Holy Spirit and what it was. He said it's truth. And he, when he says in John 14, 15, 16, he said when the comforter has come, comforter, parakletos, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-O-S. When the parakletos comes from para, which means near, that's our word, it's our word parallel, and kaleo means to call. Kaleo is the is the Greek word call near. It you remember Ekkaleo, ek is the word ekklesia. It means to call kaleo out, and that's the word church. So sometimes if you just learn these words, 
and the prefixes, you can go right to another word and understand what it's saying. Now, the Gentiles were in the dark. They had no truth, no light on a national scale. But because Israel went after the, the Christmas system, I call it, Baal, Grove, the grove was the upright tree goddess, the Asherah. It was where we get the Christmas tree. It's uh, paganism. S-H-E-R-A-H, Asherah. They went after Baal, the grove, Shemash. That's the sun god of the Moab, Shemash. Shemash is the word sun in the Greek, and they were worshiping Shemash. And Molech, Molech and Milcom and Malcolm are all variations of the same word. Uh, they went, Israel went after dozens and dozens of other gods. Why did they do that? Well, I believe the main reason they did it they did not want to keep the sabbatical years. Every seven years, they had to let the land life fallow. That means you don't plot, you don't reap, you leave it alone. And God didn't tell Israel why he did that. We know why. Because you have to rotate crops if you're out in the Midwest and you're a farmer and you got a thousand acres, you can't plant the same thing every year on the land. You got to rotate the crops. Certain crops energize or pull out certain nutrients from the ground, and you have to know what they are. So, in our day and time, they have to call out a farm agent. That's a guy that comes out and takes a a sample of the soil and goes back into his office, takes us into their chemistry lab and tests the soil and find out what kind of nutrients it needs. So they go out there and put those nutrients in the ground that it needs. Well, instead of doing that, God didn't explain to them, if you, if you plant every year at every field, you'll pull all the nutrients out of the ground and they won't grow anything. I've told this story before. Mary and I used to have a garden in the house where we used to live. And we would go out and we'd plant every year. And we'd go out and buy jumbo tomatoes. And they'd be okay for a couple of years. And then after so long, the jumbo tomatoes we would go get would end up being little tiny tomatoes because we were pulling all the nutrients out of the ground. Personal experience showed me that. Well, you can't do that. So what God said, I'm not going to tell you what this seventh year is for. I'm just going to give you a command. Don't plant, don't reap, don't harvest. And they just... They said, we'll go after gods that let us have our way. And when you go into Hebrews, the second chapter, not Hebrews, Hosea, the second chapter, God says, these gods that Israel went after, that was their lovers called Shemash, Molech, uh, Venus, uh, Shemash, Molech, all these Dozens of gods Israel went after, and they went after all the gods of the Canaanites.
and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites. You can look at that in Exodus, the ninth chapter, the first three or four verses. They went after all of them. Well, God called that their, Hosea called that their lovers, and their lovers, the Bible says, they laid claim to the wheat, the oil, oil, the barley, all that Israel was going after, they said it was their lovers or these gods that was giving it to them. Well, can you imagine if they go for four, if they go for 70 sets of these sabbatical years and they never leave the land alone, they're sucking the life out of the land. The farmers out in Oklahoma did the same thing during that great uh, drought that they had back in the 20s. They did the same thing. They didn't know anything about crop rotation and planting and it ends up drying all the ground when it dries it up they ended up having storms and they had the biggest storm dust storm that had ever occurred in the united states it was one of the greatest devastations people died you can look that up on the internet and the dust they called it the dust bowl and that's because they had a bunch of ignorant farmers. A dust bowl. So they said, we don't like, we don't like God telling us we can't plant every seven years. What are we going to do? He said, if you're obedient, the key is obey. If you obey my words and leave that land alone every seven years, I'll fill up your storehouses I'll fill up your houses with food. You'll have more than you can eat. Your basket that you gather things in, go out there to the field and gather, it'll be full. And he said, you'll have so much in store from that six year, you'll just be overflowing with food. And that was their big problem. They said, we're not going to do that. We're going to go after these other lovers, these other gods, and they're going to give us those things. Can you imagine? They had 70 sets of those sabbatical years where they never kept Sabbath. Can you imagine at the end of that what their crops looked like? They were terrible, little bitty, wrinkled up, scraggly things. It's like Haggai said. He said, you go out and you gather much and you have little in your in your bags. It, it's just not there. It wasn't there because God brought the judgment. They actually brought the judgment on themselves by not letting the man land live fallow. And I believe that's the big main reason. So God measures those 70 weeks of Daniel out. And we're not going to get into that right now. But the whole point is, because Israel went after all these other gods, because they didn't want to keep their sabbatical years, they kept going after them all the time they were a nation as a kingdom. And they were a nation under kings for about 510 years years from Saul the first man king the reason I say man king is because God was their king from Saul 
to Zedekiah, the very last king of southern Judah, was approximately 510 years, and there were kings that never kept those sabbatical years. They probably were some during the time of the judges, which was probably in the neighborhood judges somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 to 375 years. We don't know exactly how much, but somewhere in that neighborhood, they never kept sabbatical years. I believe the good guys did, people like like Hezekiah. Josiah learned to do that. Uh, David kept them, but most of the kings of Israel did not. So what God does... He gives. He says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring four judgments on you. Now, I've been talking about the judgments. Last week, I talked about these judgments that God brought upon Israel. He says, I'm going to bring the sword. I'm going to bring the famine. I'm going to bring the pestilence. And I'm going to bring, then I'm going to bring the beast, which is my last judgment. And you'll find the Bible speaks of these four judgments all through the Old Testament, and particularly in Ezekiel, the 14th chapter. The Bible will speak of the four, my four sore judgments. This is why you got to look up the words because sore doesn't mean sore. Sore is the word raw. It means evil. The four evil judgments of God and it names the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Now, I'm not going to go into those right now. The sword is when God would raise up their enemies to come against them and they would flee seven ways. The famine would come in the form of no rain under Elijah there in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. No rain or too much rain like he told him he would do there in the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel. Too much rain and that would destroy their crops. My mildew or no rain And he said in Deuteronomy 28, he said, the rain of your land will be powder. That's all the rain you'll get. And the ground will be iron and it won't grow anything. You don't want to take time off. You actually, they actually brought it on themselves. God didn't have to bring it in the sense of making a command that it would come, if they just left the land alone, the land would dry up, it wouldn't grow anything. That's what the ecological balance of God's system was. It's just like biology. It just happens if you don't leave the land alone. Here's what God did. Because of all of this, God says, I'm going to call my people by another name, And I'm going to blind the eyes of the Jews. Because all the time, I chose you. I didn't choose you because you were the greatest of nations. You were the smallest. But what I'm going to do, 
because of what you lived after while you were a nation under kings from 1 Samuel through 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, because of what you did during that time period, you are a kingdom from Saul to Zedekiah. And that takes us to all those kings in northern Israel and southern Judah, from Saul, David, Solomon, to Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, all the way down in southern Judah, all the kings in northern Israel, because the majority of them didn't do what God said. He said, I'm going to blind your eyes. Blind eyes. And I'm going to open the eyes. Eyes of Gentiles. There's a certain group of Gentiles that I'm going to cause to see and hear the truth or the Holy Spirit, which the Gentiles didn't have over here. And when you see and hear the truth, you come to the light. That's what you do. Now, I want us to go back over. This has to do with the spirits in prison. It's very simple. You simply define the word prison. Let's go back over to 1 Peter. And we're going to read this again. This is like a great big huge puzzle. That's what it's like. All right. Go to 1 Peter. Because of what Israel did, and by the way, that system that they went after in the Old Testament, that Baal and the Grove and Shemash and Molech and all of those tree and sun gods, that's the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and named the Christ Mass. The Christ Mass, and it had to do with Halloween. I'm not going to go into this all right now. Halloween, and it had to do with with Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras and Christmas are basically the same thing. Mardi Gras and Ishtar are Easter. Ishtar which was the tree goddess, Ishtar, and Valentines. These were all brought into the Roman Catholic Church and renamed and given a Christian Christian image, and they're none of them Christian. Because Israel went after all of that under the name of Baal, Grove, Shemash, Molech, Ashtaroth, Venus, uh, all those gods of Egypt, they went after the gods of Egypt, Venus and Osiris and Isis and so forth. Israel went after all of that. You can find that over in Ezra, the ninth chapter, that they went after all of it. God says, now what I'm going to do is blind the eyes of the Jews. I'm going to blind the Jews' eyes because of what they did over here. 
and I'm going to open the eyes of the Gentiles. It's only a certain group of Gentiles. That's God's predestinated or pro horizo predetermined for the horizon or the light or the truth that they did not have over here because they were spirits in prison. Now let's go over and look at that. I've got all these verses on the light in the New Testament where the Gentiles are going to come to the light. Look over here in First Peter and First Peter and this tells you the Gentiles are going to come to the light are going to come out of prison because God's going to blind the eyes of the Jews, open the eyes of the Gentiles, or bring them to the light. Maybe I'll just read you a bunch of these verses and you can see how it comes together. Now, in 1 Peter, the third chapter, verse 17, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. That sounds like that fourth chapter where he says you're not supposed to suffer for evil-doing, but for doing the truth. Now, I'll suffer for this message. People have got it in their heads that the spirits in prison were the people in hell. And, and like that goofy uh, guy on the 700 Club. Pat Robertson. Pat Roberts, Robinson, Robertson, yes. <laughs> Pat Robertson said that Jesus went down to hell and invited the spirits in prison out of hell when he was dead and in his grave. Now, that is the most insane theology I've ever heard. Uh, why would he go to hell when he has these people as vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? They're going to be there forever and ever and invite them out of hell and say, you can come out of hell if you want to by your own free will when they don't have any, they'd have to have the Holy Spirit in hell. The Holy Spirit's truth. You can't have the Holy Spirit in hell and convict people's hearts. Besides that, they're fitted for destruction. They couldn't come to Christ because he said, you don't belong to me, you're not of my sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice, they know me, and I give my sheep eternal life. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Well, it goes on to say, for Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. He was just, we were unjust. Just is the word dikaio, D-I-K-A-I-O-O. It means right. We get the word righteous from that. And we were adikaio, A-D-I-K-A-I-O-O. Adikaio, the alpha negates the word. It comes from the word A-D-I-K-E. It means the alpha negating the word decay. Decay is the word right. It means not right. We were not right from the beginning. There's none that seeks God. That's why God had to predetermine a certain family for the light and put it in their hearts. 
He has shed abroad his agape, his love, or his light in the hearts of those that he loved. Now, let's read on here. The just for the unjust that he might bring us, bring us, when you look at this, in the first verse, who is the us? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers, a stranger was a Gentile. To bring the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's talking about on the upper sections of what we call Turkey or Asia Minor. He's talking about Gentiles to bring us Gentiles. To bring us to God. And here's how he's going to do it. Here's how he brings the Gentiles to God. Being put to death in the flesh... It's going to take me probably a couple of three weeks to get through this. Being put to death in the flesh. When you can find something, a set of words that means the same thing as another set of words, you can substitute the two for one another. The Bible says this is how God will bring these people to the light. The us, the Gentiles... Bring us to the light, us to light. What if I said, bring us to the horizon, horizo? Bring the Gentiles to the horizo. Prohorizo remembers the word predestinate. So he says, put to death. He was put to death in the flesh. But he was quickened by the Spirit. By Spirit. When you see these two phrases together, put to death and quickened, that means quickened, Z-O-O-P. O-I-E-O. Zumpo'eo is the word quicken. It means to make po'eo zoo. Zoo is our word zoo or make zoon. That's the word. Comes from zoon. It means alive. There's a word you can use for put to death and quickened. Quickened means to come to life after dying. What is the word for that? The word for that is resurrection. Resurrection is the word anastasis. It means to come to life, to life after Dying. That's the word resurrection. So you can substitute resurrection 
for these two phrases, put to death, quickened. Quickened is coming to life after dying, after death. So you can substitute resurrection, which is the same meaning, means to come to life after dying, and we die daily. That's how he's going to preach to these people, to the us here. But he tells you who the us is when you keep on reading. He said, quicken by the Spirit. Or you can finish up that verse by saying, by saying, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. But resurrection is the means you can substitute resurrection for being put to death and quickened. And then going into verse 19. Resurrection is the means by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Boy, that's been... Do you all know that this is the most mystical verse to all the preachers in the world? To every professor... Most of the scholars will say, even even Matthew Henry said, I don't really know what that means. He didn't define enough words. All you got to do is define the word prison. Prison is the word phulake. P-H-U-L-A-K-E. Phulake. The word prison is the answer. The word prison means the division of day and night. Oops, there we go. Day and night are light and darkness. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, You were darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The word forgiveness, which the Gentiles didn't have over here, has to do with prison. It has to do with truth. If you're coming out of, predestinate has to do with, with prison predestinate predestinate equals forgiveness because predestinate means to determine for the horizon or determine for the boundary of light and everything that God used to call the Gentiles to the light had to do with light and the meaning of the word all the words are kin to one another by meaning horizon the word forgiveness aphesis That is the word forgiveness, A-P-H-E-S-I-S. And it means to 
type from darkness. It actually means to pardon and release from prison. You are darkness. Now you are, what if I said, you are darkness, but now you are horizon. Now you are light. When you're in the dark, you cannot see the horizon. When you're in the dark, you can't see the horizon. When you're in the light, you could always see the horizon. And you can see the sun going down. Well, we are now in the light. The Gentiles were predestined to be in the horizo, inside the light. And that is the same thing as forgiveness. But forgiveness, God didn't just forgive the... God has a program for forgiveness. Forgiveness means to forgive, aphime, A-P-H-E-I-M-A-M-I. That's the word forgive. Now, you don't forgive somebody if you hold a grudge against them for what they did to you. Forgiveness, aphime, means to send away, wipe the thing clean. That's the same thing as a pardon. That's, that's, that's a pardon. A pardon is not a parole. A pardon is where the governor or the president goes and wipes a slate clean as though it had never happened. That's what forgive means. It means you wipe it clean and you don't hold it against somebody. But somebody has to repent. It means to be turned metanoia. It means to be turned and think differently. They have to bring works worthy to be called works of repentance and repent as a result of rebuke. God has to rebuke you in your heart and you are found guilty. Rebuke, elenchos, E-L-E-G-C-H-O-S, comes from the word elenko, E-L-E-G-C-H-O, which is the word elenchos. Elenko is the word rebuke. Elenchos is the word evidence. Evidence has been presented against you down there on the evidence table, and you're pronounced guilty. But a pardon comes from God, and you're released from darkness to light. That is coming out of prison for the Gentiles. The Bible speaks of that. In fact, let's read the rest of this. Being put to death in the flesh by the resurrection, quickened by the Spirit, by which also Christ went and preached unto the spirits in prison. The word preached has really messed some people up. Preached is the word caruso. Comes from the same word as the old opera singer back in the early 1900s, K E R U S S O. His name was C A R U S S O. He was probably the most famous opera singer of the 1900s. Caruso. It means to herald. Christ. And the thing about preach, 
it is now where people try to get around this preach is an aorist indicative a-r-i-s-t indicative verb it's aorist indicative that means past tense they say see that's something God did one time Jesus went and did one time to people somewhere in prison there's only one problem with the aorist tense it is a past tense verb and you've got several kinds of past tense verbs you've got consumative that means one time in the past consumative consumative means it was one time and it stopped that's like Jesus died on the cross that's one time we die daily that's constant then you had a constantive constantive aorist indicative which means it began in the past and all of the context will tell you if it continues if it's constant well is Christ still preaching to the Gentiles by the resurrection yes it started in the past and the Gentiles are still being preached and you had the ingressive aorist indicative ingressive I've said this so many times. An ingress, I know what an ingress is. I sold real estate for years. An ingress is um, it's an entrance into. That means an entrance into the aorist indicative. Aorist indicative. An entrance into it. An ingress, if you have if you have a piece of land on the market and a guy has a piece of land back of it but there's no road to it and the road is out here in Tennessee the law says you have to give this the nearest man has to give him an ingress back to his land if I'd have known that when I was selling real estate I had a piece of land that had no ingress to it I would have bought that land real cheap and and had a piece of property out there in the middle of the country and it would have been some value but I just didn't see any sense at the time of course I couldn't see the future but that's an ingress it means there's an entrance into the aorist indicative and it's you can't tell when it stops it has the basic same as the constitutive and it's real difficult to tell the difference between a constitutive and an aggressive aorist indicative so when the bible says he preached to the spirits in prison the context is going to tell you he's still preaching to the gentiles the gentile church which is spiritual Israel that started in Acts 2 and it goes to the end of time till the church is taken out of here at the last trump and that's the 2000 year period that some people have misinterpreted the scriptures as being a thousand year reign that's not true 
now so the spirits in prison huh, I'm not going to go to this next verse I'll come back to that later let's look at what Paul said to these people over here and look here in Colossians Colossians the first chapter first chapter now here's another illustration of the aorist indicative constitutive or ingressive you find here in Colossians the first chapter he's instructing the Colossians which is a Gentile church giving thanks verse 12 unto the father which hath made us meet or worthy to be partakers God has made the Colossian Gentile church worthy axio 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 is the word worthy whenever you find it it's a form of that we get our word axiom from that it means equitable it's equal it has balance to it God said the Bible says he has made us an equal people to the truth when he put it in our hearts as Colossian Gentiles and then he says giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet or worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light and then he says who hath delivered us from the power of darkness from prison we are Gentile church and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son which the Bible calls repeatedly the kingdom of light or the kingdom of truth most people are not willing to study this much on the spirits in prison now let's go over here to Acts the 26th chapter this is one of my favorite verses on this whole subject how much time to have mike 38 boy i'm covering a lot of territory okay predestination has to do with the gentiles coming to the light wasn't rome a gentile church when he said for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son or to the likeness of his son and jesus was, was the light of the world and we're the light then he says over here in in Acts the 26th chapter Paul is standing I've never really fully finished this I don't believe I'll ever finish it because this has to do with Christmas over here and the reason God blinded the eyes of the Jews and opened the eyes of the Gentiles because the Gentiles were in prison over in the Old Testament it's but it goes back to definition don't let anybody tell you we got the King James Bible that's good enough it is not half the translators of the King James Bible were Roman Catholics there's all kinds of error in the King James Bible do we have the exact word of God yes I believe we do it's called an interlinear Bible and it's not partial to anything 
other than the Textus Receptus, the received text that we had. And the Greek is on the top, and the English is right. I don't even trust the English because I don't believe the guys that translated the English get it, got it exactly right. So I look at it myself and see what it says. All right. Now, look here in Acts 26. Paul is standing before Agrippa. Agrippa was a Herod. The Herods were from Idumea. There were many Herods. Idumea. There were many Herods. The Herods were Idumean kings. They were false kings of Israel. They were from the tribe. They were from the nation of Esau, just south of Israel. Esau or Edom. Edom had no promise from God. They were actually assuming the position of Judah. Out of Judah, the fourth son of Jacob would come the king. They were calling themselves kings. How did they get to be kings? They would go over to they would go over to in time and in history they would go over to Rome and they would court the Roman emperors and kind of try to make them happy they'd go over here from Israel over to Rome court those guys and get those Romans to appoint them kings of Israel Israel didn't do that their king had to come out of Judah so these were false kings of Israel during the first century. That were the Herods. You had Herod Agrippa here in this chapter. You had Herod Antipas. You had many Herods. Agrippa, Antipas, and the list goes on and on. Now, so we stand in front of Agrippa and he is telling this story that where he met Christ on the road to Damascus. Before this, Paul was killing Christians for a living. And that's what he did. He was, uh, he said, I was more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. The tradition is that word paradosis means the verbal law of Moses or the halakha, and I don't have time to go into that. And uh, he said, and he's standing before Agrippa, telling him the story about seeing Jesus on the Damascus Road in that night chapter of Acts. And he says, in verse 14, When we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue. Doesn't mean the Hebrew language. That word tongue is the word dialectos. They have different dialect. They had a different dialect of the Greek common street language. Greek. The word common is the word koine. It comes from koinonia, which is the word communion. They had a different Greek dialect in every city state. He's speaking in the dialect that was in Israel at this time. So in the Hebrew dialect, 
This is what Jesus said to him on the Damascus Road. He's talking to Paul in Greek, a Greek dialect of the Hebrew language. They had a different dialect everywhere. They had a Samaritan dialect. They had a they had a dialect in in uh, down in Babylon. They had a dialect in Ethiopia. They had several dialects in Greece. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The pricks were the ox goads on the back of a cart, and said when a donkey kicked against these ox goads. It didn't feel good. He said, all you're doing is hurting yourself by killing Christians. And he's talking about Jesus talking to him. These are in red letters, if you got a red letter Bible. And I said, who art thou, Lord? Now, Paul knew exactly who he was because he called him Lord. And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose to make thee a minister and a witness both of those things which thou hast seen and of those things which in which I will appear unto thee. By the way, the word appear is a word. I'll go into it later. It's a word that means you, nothing appears unless there's a light. And there was a bright great light shining on the road to Damascus and appear means to see with the eye and appear and understand with the mind what you're looking at but without light nothing appears I believe that's one of the reasons for the great light and I'm delivering thee from the people I'm pulling you out of these people that have got you possessed the Jews grabbed him after his last journey and they were trying to condemn him. And the soldiers took, the Roman soldiers took Paul away from him. I'm delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, those people that have been in prison for 4,000 years from Adam until Acts 2, whom I now send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. That's bringing them out of prison. Remember Philake. Philake means the division of day and night or light and darkness. I'm bringing them out of... I want you to go tell them to come out of the darkness and come to the light. Come to the truth. He had not extended the gospel to the Gentiles as a whole up until this point. And from the power of Satan that they may receive forgiveness, aphesis, a pardon in releasing them from prison. That's what forgiveness means. Aphesis. I got it up here somewhere. Aphesis. A-P-H-E-S-I-S. Means to pardon and release from prison. God says, I'm wiping away to those that I give this to, not to all the Gentiles, my predestinated elect family. Forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now, they're sanctified. Hagiadzo 
going to make the Gentiles holy. Now let me back up and take you to Galatians. Go over to Galatians. You have to remember these together. And I'm going to get to all these words related if I get time today, but I won't. If I don't, I'll do it next Wednesday. Galatians. Galatia was a Gentile church. Galatia was a state. It wasn't a city. Galatia, here's Galatia right here. Galatia was a state in what we call Turkey. Over here, this was Asia Minor. You had the seven churches of Asia, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, uh, Laodicea, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos. Those were, the, but there's other churches that weren't in the seven churches of Asia: Trallus, Magnesia, Miletus, Colossia, uh, and so forth. But the rest of them were. This was Asia Minor, and this was Galatia. When Paul went on his first missionary journey, he came up. Well, he came. He left uh, Syria, came down here to Cyprus hit the coast at Perga and came up to Galatia, to Antioch, Iconium, Derby, and Lystra, which were all in Galatia. And when the Bible speaks of, in the book of Galatians, it talks about these, these four cities, Iconium, uh, Antioch, Iconium, Derby, Derby, and Lystra. It talks about them in First Timothy, or Second uh, Timothy two fifteen, he Paul said, "You've heard about all my trials in Antioch, Iconium, Derby, and Lystra, and Lystra's where they stoned him and left him for dead." Now, what was I reading? Galatians. Galatians. All right, I have forgotten what I was going to read. I'm talking of oh. I'm talking about the Gentiles coming to the light of God. I was going to read you something out of Galatians, and I don't remember what it was. My mind is going 100 miles an hour when I'm thinking of all these things. You were in Acts 26. I was in Acts 26. <laughs> okay. I was going to talk about the light that was given to the Galatians. They were... Well, I'm looking, I'm real familiar with the book. Uh, I was going to take you somewhere and I forgot. I'll come back to it. But Paul says this to all of these Gentile churches. Now, go over here to just go to the next book, Ephesus. That was also a Gentile church. You can see Ephesus. Here's Ephesus right here on the coast of Turkey. Turkey has more history than just about any country in the world concerning the Bible times. The seven churches of Asia, the Galatia there. I was simply saying that Galatia was a was a state. It wasn't a city. It had all these cities in it. Alright. Look over here in in uh, I'm just going to let you look at some of these and put some of this together. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, 
Paul says in verse 8, talking to an Ephesian Gentile church, Ephesus was Gentile. They were part of the darkness and in prison over in the Old Testament. And Paul says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. They were in the dark or in prison. Now, and the means by which God is going to preach to these people is by the resurrection of Christ, which is the gospel, which is the blood baptism. And y'all know where I'm going with that, but I'm not going to go there right now. All right. I've got something I want to read to you. This comes out of McClintock and Strong. And all you have to do, I've got, I made copies of both of them. I've got, you can look up, you can use McClintock and Strong for an unbelievable amount of things. Just look up light and dark. Let me read to you what it says about light. Light. The term light is used for metomony, for a fire giving light, for a torch, candle, or lamp, for the material light of heaven as the sun, moon, or stars. And that's equated with truth over in Micah, the third chapter, the sun will go down over the prophets and they'll have no prophecy anymore. It'll be darkness. Darkness has to do with no truth. Light has to do with truth. In figurative language, it signifies or manifests our open state of things in its higher sense, the eternal source of truth. That's what light is. Purity and joy. God is said to dwell in light inaccessible, which seems to contain a reference to the glory and splendor that's shown in the Holy of Holies. Let me read some more of this. Agreeably to the notion of lights being the symbols of good government. Gosh, where does that take you? takes you to heavens the heavens was the governing when God says I'll make new heavens and new earth notice how all this just clicks together heavens was the governing was the governing body of a nation I'll make new heavens and new earth it's not talking about a heaven coming down uh, I don't want to get into that That I spent all day long in it it's talking about the governing bodies of a situation. And if it's a good government, it's a government of light. And that's what God is calling the Gentiles, the spirits in prison to. And then he says, this is amazing, under light. Agreeably to the notion of lights being the symbols of good government, light also signifies protection, deliverance, what, from prison? Yes. Deliverance and joy. Light also frequently signifies instruction, both by doctrine and example. 
Doctrine is the word didache, and it means instruction. When you speak and you tell the truth, you're giving light to people. Or you are enlightening people. They come from the same word. We'll go into that. Are persons considered as giving such light? When Jesus said, you're the light of the world, that's the believers. The unbelievers are in darkness. They're in prison. It is applied in the highest sense to Christ, the true light, the son of righteousness, who is that in the spiritual, which the material light is the natural world, the great author not only of illumination and knowledge, but spiritual life, health, and joy to the souls of men. Then he says, light is also applied to Christ. The people who sat in darkness, I like that. That was the Gentiles. Have seen a great light in Matthew 4 and 16, Luke 2, 32, John 1 and 4. He was the true light. I am the light of the world, John 8 and 12, John 12, 35 and 36. It is further used of angels as in 2 Corinthians 11 and 14. Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. The word transformed is Satan is disguising himself as something righteous metaschematizo Satan is acting like he's the light what is the word you would call that he's acting like the light that's called hypocrisy hupo crites a hypocrite in the first century was a stage actor with a mask on. They had plays, and they would act out, and that's a hypocrite. It was an actor with an assumed character. And these, Satan is transformed into an angel of light. He's pretending to be the light, but Satan can't fool anybody. I keep saying red, wearing red suit, a horns and, and tail. He can't fool anybody looking like that. He has to look like Jesus. And the only way you can tell the difference between Satan, which is the other Jesus that Paul speaks of in Second Corinthians 11 and 4, and later on he tells you who he is. It's Satan disguised as Jesus. The only way you can tell the difference is in their message. Satan's message is God wants you to have everything. He wants you to prosper, have all kinds of money, and have good health. And Jesus said, death to self, daily cross, self-denial. You have to be hated by the world. you got to be infamous. you got to be reproached. Aniedzo, which means infamous. Now, let me finish reading this. This is, out of, this is light and darkness. Light is moreover employed of men. John the Baptist was burning, was a burning and shining light in John five thirty five. Ye are the light of the world in Matthew five and fourteen. We're the we have been delivered from prison. We come out of darkness to light. 
when you come to sin, you go into darkness. Because the first thing you do is go right to it. Now, let me read you some of the article on darkness out of McClinic and Strong. This is on darkness. Darkness. The absence of light. What if it said the absence of truth? They didn't have it. Gentiles didn't have it in the Old Testament. The state of chaos as represented by the sacred writer in Genesis 1-2 and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and there's no light there. When God said let there be light he's saying let the light in. He created the light in the first verse but there was a there was no light in the earth. Satan had corrupted the earth and there was a film of darkness all around and darkness is upon the surface of the deep. The word face is the word surface, ponim. The state of chaos is what it was talking about. The plague of darkness in Exodus 10.21 and then he says darkness is often used symbolically in scripture as opposed to light. Remember Prohorizo is the word predestinate. Pro meaning before to determine for the light or the horizon. Which is a symbol of joy and safety. That's what light is a symbol of. And he gives all these verses. Hence, the captivity. God puts them into captivity when he has Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrian kings come in and carry northern Israel and southern Judah into captivity or into darkness. Darkness of the sun, moon, and stars is used figuratively to denote general darkness or deficiency in the government of a body politic. It's darkness is a government where there's no truth involved in it. That's America. There's no truth involved in America. In Ephesians 5 and 11, the expression works of darkness is applied to the heathen mysteries on account of the impure actions which the initiated performed in them. Outer darkness in Matthew 8 and 12, I've explained that. And elsewhere refers to the darkness outside in the streets or open country as contrasted with a blaze of cheerful light in the house. Now go over to, take your Bibles and go over, I can't read all of that, go over to Luke, the second chapter. This is right after the birth of Jesus. Mary is in Jerusalem. She has come to offer two turtle doves, as I've told you before, upon the birth of a son. In Luke, the second chapter. Luke 2. And let's start reading here in verse 89. Or 39, excuse me. How much time, Mike? Okay. And Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste and into the city of Judea. And entered, she's gone to Jerusalem. 
She's offering sacrifice for the newborn baby. She's gone through a 40-day quarantine. We're familiar with that. And where they had to quarantine the woman for 40 days. And then she's coming to Jerusalem to offer the two turtle doves. He was circumcised the eighth day. And here she comes. Entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. Zechariah was Elizabeth's husband. He was a high priest in Israel. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Holy Ghost is the truth. So, Every time you find someone filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, they begin to speak truth. And she spake out with a loud voice, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. She was, John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is saying, you're the mother of Jesus, not of God, but of Jesus. Jesus was God long before he came and died for us. In the beginning was the Word, was the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by him, the Word. And without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word, Jesus, would was made flesh and dwelt among us so he was with God and was God in the beginning verse 44 for lo as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears the baby leaped in my womb for joy blessed is she that believed for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord and Mary said, My soul doth rejoice, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. God is the Savior of the world. She's talking about Jesus in her womb that's being birthed and come out of her womb. And she calls Jesus her Savior. Therefore, she was a sinner in need of a Savior. The Roman Catholics say, that she was immaculately conceived. Immaculate conception is about the conception of Mary, not Jesus. They say she was conceived without sin and never had any sin. The Bible says here she was in need of a Savior. She was a sinner. And he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. And henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. Now, now i got to go over here to chapter 2. Chapter 2, in verse 25. Mary's come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice. Verse 25, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon Simeon. He was a believer. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law to offer two turtle doves, then took he him up in his arms. Simeon picked up Jesus, the baby, and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of the people, a light, this is Simeon's words, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So Simeon is saying he is a light to bring the Gentiles out of darkness to bring them to righteousness or to truth. And they had never had it. They were the spirits in prison in the Old Testament and they're no longer that. Now, there's so many of these words. I don't know exactly. I want to go somewhere. I don't know if I've got time. If I don't have time to finish it up, I'll come back next week. I'm, I'm going to get into the, the light part to the Gentile. The light had to be taken to the Gentiles, and that had to be... That had to be Acts, the second chapter. This has to do with tongues. And I'm not talking about Pentecostal tongues. I'm talking about glossa and dialects is the way the gospel of truth is going to get to the Gentiles. And it has to do with that word utterance. Because the word utterance comes from the word light. The light to the Gentiles, without the light to the Gentiles, we're all Gentiles in this church. We're spiritual Israel, heavenly Jerusalem, the church. That's what we are. I don't know how to put all this together. I've been thinking about this for years. I'm going to give you a little bit of it. When I come back next week... I'm going to give you a lot more of it. Light has to do with truth. The Gentiles had no truth in the Old Testament. They were in darkness. They were in prison. They had no forgiveness. They had no pardon and release from prison. A pardon is not a parole. A pardon is a complete wiping away of all the offenses. Now go over here to Acts 2. I don't know how to get all this down. All these, I'm going to show you all these different words that come from basic same words. Light has to do with all these words. It has to do with saying, to say, said, utterance, utterance 
look at that look at that over here in Acts two. Acts two utterance has to do with with the light. I'm running out of time, ain't I? I'm going to have to save this till next week. The word utterance is the word apophathangomai. Apo. It comes from apo and fathangomai. Fathengomai, you've got a dozen words that have to do with this. It means to say or speak clearly. If you speak clearly, what you're doing, you're shedding light on things. It does not mean guttural sounds. They all spoke with other tongues, with heteroglossa, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Glossa is the word foreign language. Hetero means other foreign languages. As the Spirit gave them a setting off of saying something clearly. It's the same word Peter used when he said. It's the same word as said in verse 14. I've got dozens of words that comes from this same word that has to do with getting the light to the Gentiles. I don't even have time to go through them. You got the word philangomai means to utter something clear and say it clearly where it's easily understood. Utterance doesn't mean guttural sounds. It comes from the word feme, P-H-E-M-I. PH, this is a form of it, means to say or speak. And that's amazing because the word blaspheme, blasphemos, it is a for, it comes from two words, blapto and feme, P-H-E. M-I, which is a form of the word uh, fathangomai. And feme comes, we get our word P-H-E-M-E, which is the word fame. Fame. And when somebody is famous, everybody's talking well of them. Blapto means to hinder the fame of God and hinder his words. That's what you do when you blaspheme. And you get the words phagos, which means brilliant, light. You get words like phos, that's a shining element, phosphorus. That's a word, light, you're the light of the world, phos, P-H-O-S. That comes from the word phangomai, phangomai, phos. I'm going to come back and go through a bunch of these when I'm just trying. Am I out of time? You get the word foster, which means an illuminator. You get the word phosphorus, which is the word daystar. The daystar was the 
was Christ and he was the light and he was the morning star and that was called the day star. That's the word phosphorus. And it goes, the list goes on and on as to all of these. I got a whole list of them and what I'm going to do is come back and write the list out. This has to do with the light. You're the light of the world. Christ is the light. And you're the light because Christ is in you. And light has to be... The word manifest comes from this word, pathangomai. Manifest means to make known to the light. Remember, prohorizo is the word predestinate. Horizo is the horizon. The light. Light is truth. It's what it is. I'm going to come back and give you this whole list. I was wanting to save this message till I got everybody back in the auditorium. I hope you're all watching this because this is clarifying the tongues thing up more and more. There's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues. Tongues has to do with light. Not what you want it to be. I told a lady earlier today, she's a dear sweet lady, works in an office here. She said, well, I speak in tongues, but I said, but it's wrong. She's, I told her, I said, your emotions will lie to you. She said, yeah, yeah, I know. And that's all it is. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. Cause to continue your work. I don't know what else to do, but what I'm doing We'll praise you for all things. Give you glory for everything. Fight our battles. If it's according to your will and mercy, deliver us from this disease, this virus, so we can continue this work. It's according to your will, whatever you want. Lead us to your elect and fight our battles in Christ's name. Amen.